Hi, everyone. This is the first time that I've had to institute a bit of a trigger warning for an episode of the memoir my dad wouldn't write. You know, my dad was committed to being totally honest with me in these conversations. And this episode is about the first time my dad um, experienced sexuality. And I have to tell you, I don't call sex between an adult and a child sex. I call it molestation and predatory behavior. But during this conversation, we use the term sex. This is also the first episode I've ever edited. I took out parts because I know that there are young people listening and sometimes even parents with children. So if you feel you are being put in sexual situations against your will or that make you uncomfortable, let a school counselor know, let a teacher know, or let a trusted adult know. If you're going to find instances relating uh, what I name molestation, but what my dad names his first sexual experience, if you're going to find those instances upsetting or triggering, you should turn off this episode now. I really appreciate the support you've been giving me. And sit back and relax because this is a pretty incredible episode. And they became tired and tired detergent, right? And cold. <coughs> These are all the things that the trains yeah. that came through East yeah, St. Louis would be carrying. Surf and, you know, just, you know. So yeah. in in that way, it, what I'm what I'm kind of hearing from you is that the trains represented a way out. That's it's right. kind of like the rich. Was that the Richard Wright story, Almost a Man? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Where uh, mm -hmm. the character uh, made a mistake and shot uh, his employer's yeah. mule. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and then the father and the mother wanted him to apologize and, and mm -hmm. kind of go into debt to make up for the mule's yeah. life. And the little boy grabbed a shotgun and got on the train. Yeah. So he grabbed a phallic image, yeah. image, got on a phallic image, That's right. and got the heck out of town. Rolled on, rolled it out, rolled on a it, huge right. black dick. That's right, that's right. That's right. <laughs> that's right. So that, that, um, and that and that image was in your mind too that you could leave. Yeah, you could right. hop on it. Yeah, it was it was vicarious, you know. What mm -hmm. I mean? I, and I told you what one of my uh, best friends told me he died. Uh, he died. Uh, couple of three years ago so <clears throat> he was an engineer and he was one of the pioneers of the black arts movement mm -hmm. he had gone and left high school 16 went into the navy came back out and started went to study uh, studied engineering at u of i mm -hmm. and so uh anyway he started a magazine in la doing the black arts movement i mean this is from east st louis mm -hmm. named uh frank childress he said to me when I got back here, back to East St. Louis in 85, after 16 years of my Ulyssian and John Henry and <laughs> right. Soul John. Right, right, right. He, <clears throat> he said, he said, you know, Red, the reason you, the reason you're so successful is because you always had the big picture. And I asked him, what did he mean by that? Mm. And he said, well, you know, we would be 12, 13, 
14. He said each one of us, we'd be sitting on the railroad tracks. Mm -hmm. And each one of us would get up and march in front of the guys all sitting there, mm -hmm. you know, sitting on the track, and proclaim their future glory. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I would get up and you know, sort of strut in front of everybody mm -hmm. that was sitting there. You know, mm -hmm. like crows are. Mm -hmm. You know, you see a whole row. And vision. Do your visioning session. That's right. And <laughs> we're sitting on the tracks, and behind us or in front of us would be <clears throat> boxcars with names on them. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and he said, you would strut and you would say, I'm going to go here. I'm going to do that. Mm -hmm. He said, you always had something big. He said, ooh, like 12, 13, 14. He said, you I, I didn't remember. I remember the scenes, mm. but I don't, you know, I don't remember that I said. The things and you he said. said. You always had the big picture ahead. And so mm. when I came home, I've been a full professor and having won a, a Pushcart Prize and National uh, Endowment for the Arts, Creative Writing, for, you mm -hmm. know, all that stuff. And, right. Uh, you know, he... He saw that as really great, mm -hmm. you know, coming from East St. Louis. He said, you always had the big picture. The big picture. And then he explained, he explained it to me. Mm -hmm. He used to tell us. He said, you didn't say specifically what you were going to do, but we always expect you to do something great. Mm -hmm. you know? so, the, yeah. so inside you... So that you, was all that, that, the wanderlust and... Yes. Know, yeah. So inside you, there was something germinating. There was uh, an idea of a larger world, a larger possibility, yeah, yeah. travel experiences. And you were coming into manhood uh, after World War II. And so the last time we talked, you you said you were gonna share with us about de-virginization. That's right. When my mother died, we lived in Rush City. Mm -hmm. Rush City, uh, 1055 Paradise. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and I, I intend to write a uh, collection of short stories in Paradise Street and other stories. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, after Paradise, I've been for years wondering when Paradise, Tony Morrison's novel came mm -hmm. out, as well, let that go. Then somebody, several people said, oh, man, don't worry about that. You had yeah. that in your mind. Mom. Anyway, we lived on Paradise. We moved to Colas, mm -hmm. 1322 Colas, which I later found out working. Well, I think that, well, yeah, that uh, colus means ass in Greek. Interesting. And so, <laughs> I'm saying, okay. And so they would say, uh, the, the boss at the, at, the, at the hat shop would say, lazy colus, goddamn colus. You know, he, somebody was an ass, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> or they'd be talking about a woman walking out of the place, you know? <laughs> Cola, that's the mm -hmm. next thing. So I learned a lot of, uh, I learned a curse word in Greek, by the way, mm -hmm. because this guy was semi-literate mm -hmm. who came to this country and became a millionaire. Right? Mm -hmm. And all black people except for one cousin, Greek named Ray. Mm -hmm. so everybody else in there was, that's another whole episode, but what they taught, <laughs> what those guys In the hat me, shop where you worked. Yeah, the, yeah, the gangsters, mm -hmm. uh, the musicians, the uh, mainliners, uh, everybody and mainlining mean the, the people who shot dope, who shot, shot heroin, shot heroin, right? And um, and they, they some worked there, and 
but all came through there because mm. they wanted to get clean. It was a call a hat shop, but it was a cleaners too. You know? Oh, okay. <clears throat> mm-hmm. yeah. It was a cleaners and and a hat shop. A but hat it was shop. called Division Hat Shop, mm. and owned by Chris Polis, who had a much longer name. Like, you know, you know that's when I learned the English, the whole Anglicization game of mm. foreigners. You know, mm. Jews truncated their name so you couldn't tell it was. You know, mm-hmm. they were Jewish, mm-hmm. and anybody else just anglicized their name. Right, because it might have been Polisinopolis. That's right, like Right, three more syllables in it. That's true. <laughs> so <Wow>. anyway, <laughs> the way we smallify like ourselves. <laughs> right, the way the way we smallify ourselves. That's right. For, that's right. For U.S. culture and uh, <clears throat> mm. <clears throat> the. Um, uh, I'll tell you something about that later too. So, so I went from uh, I went to uh, uh, went to Cola Street over the twelve thirteen sets of tracks. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not how you got there. We rode around because we were moving, but that's how you went back and forth on foot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so all my friends were in Rush City, and I was fresh to. Uh, to the South End on Color Street. Mm-hmm. So I constantly went over every day. Yeah, if it was like none school time mm-hmm. or if it was school and either. I constantly crossed the tracks and went back to my friends, you know, mm-hmm. my, my my homies until I developed friends in the neighborhood where my grandmother mm-hmm. lived. And <clears throat> there was a woman who was the uncle, uh the auntie, pardon me, of a dear friend of mine. Mm-hmm. Uh who lived uh, a block over from <clears throat> from Paradise on Sycamore Street? Mm-hmm. And let's see. and how old were you during this time? Uh, at this time, I was about thirteen. Thirteen. This would have been this would have been like maybe nineteen fifty, nineteen forty, and I was born in thirty seven. So yeah. So it was, I was about 13. And how old do you think she was? I think she was in her late 20s, early 30s. Okay. And <clears throat> her husband had been killed in Korea. Mm. So we can kind of gauge it that way because, you know, anyway, he, um, she, and she had gotten 10000 That's what everybody knew that if you had a son or a husband or a brother killed in, in, in Korea, you would get $10,000. Mm-hmm. You know, which was a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So she had a confectionery front, very common confectionery front. Uh, the string curtain. What do you mean confectionery? That's what they call confectionery. The little, the little mom and pop, so-called mom and pop store. Oh, she had like a little store in her home. Oh yeah. That sold candy, that, drinks, yeah, maps. That, that populated the uh, black. Oh. Oh, yes, yeah. in Mississippi, yeah, that that everywhere. happened on porches too. Everywhere, mm-hmm. and and she lived in the back, so mm-hmm. you come in and there was a bell at the door, thing, and then she come from the back and serve you, Mary mm-hmm. Jane's and whatever mm-hmm. you know through the, the little uh, counter windows, and, mm-hmm. you know, whatever you wanted. Okay. And then you want a loaf of bread, you want some sardines. Mm-hmm. And, so I I would visit her. And she looked at me in a different way than other grown women. Mm. You know, it was a piercing look. 
I didn't know what I didn't know understand it, but I knew that there was something different. So uh-huh. my friend, she was Lu- a predator. Yeah, my friend Lewis and I, she was his auntie. Mm-hmm. We would go by there a lot, you know. We'd mm-hmm. be kicking around cans or collecting junk to sell at the junkyard, mm-hmm. and uh, that was a. Uh, I, I talked about that earlier. Mm-hmm. You know, when you had your little handmade truck, mm-hmm. you got all this junk, cans, glass. Uh, rare, more rare metal like uh, aluminum or mm-hmm. copper, and they separated and you sell it get to a penny a pound, a ten, ten a nickel a pound, whatever. Okay. In the war industry, everything was recycled, nothing mm-hmm. thrown away. So anyway, one day I was kicking around and started raining, and I went to the back door where he and I would go sometime, you know, because she lived back there, you mm-hmm. know. And so I went to the back door and asked her if he was there. I knew he wasn't. Mm-hmm. But there was something, the way she was looking at me, mm-hmm. let me know that there was something mysterious about it. I need to mm-hmm. know what, why she was looking at me. What was She was a magnet. What was it that was, that was, that was drawing me to her? Mm-hmm. So I knocked on the back door, stepped on the doctor on the back door. She opened the door and she said, oh, Hello, Eugene, and had that look, you know. Mm-hmm. And I said, "Is Lewis here?" She said, "No, he's not here. I knew he wasn't because mm-hmm. I knew where he was." But mm-hmm. I just something said. So she said, "Come on in. Uh, want a glass of milk or a soda or something?" And so we sat at the kitchen table and talked, and uh, we just talked about a lot of different things. Like she told me about menstruation, well, having all these sisters. I mean, that was always kept from me, mm-hmm. you know. And I never had to go to the store because, because my sister, because there were enough girls mm-hmm. to walk to the corner to handle get, things. Get the, yeah, right, right. Mm-hmm. So as a boy, I, I would never be sent. But but I knew that when the boys were coming back with a box wrapped in butcher paper, they always crossed the street when they got to us, even though they lived on the same side. <laughs> they crossed the street for our house or our two houses, then they got back, came back, and walked on. See. They weren't going to walk between this cluster of boys. Carrying feminine hygiene products. Right, right, right. We just <laughs> knew it was something, mm-hmm. and it had to do with women, mm-hmm. but it never appeared. You never saw it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you might see it in the story yourself. So right. You know what it was, Kotak. Mm-hmm. And um, so they would do that in brown butcher paper, mm. always wrapped. Interesting. So I saw it up on her, one of these, right? a shepherd roll. Mm-hmm. I saw the box way up. Right? A box of Kotex. Right. So we were just talking. So we went and sat out in her bedroom, and it was very, I was very nervous, you know, so I'm just asking, always inquiring, asking what that is, what that is. So when I asked about the Kotex, she said, well, you know, women bleed once a month. So I said, okay, now. I'm I'm old enough to okay. not to be hearing a fairy tale. You know? <laughs> I'm not I'm not you know. Right. So I said something to that effect like you don't have to talk to me like that you know. Mm-hmm. You don't have to talk down to me like that. Mm-hmm. And she said no, it's true. Women bleed and uh, anyway I I could tell I could talk a lot about it what we mm-hmm. talked about wow. Mm-hmm. But anyway. <clears throat> because you thought <clears throat> she was kidding. Yeah, I thought it was she making up something. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> you know, I get it. And then yes. later I learned when I would go down an alley and see a whole lot of diapers mm-hmm. on the on the clothesline, mm-hmm. 
and knew there were no little kids in there, mm-hmm. I would wonder, like, who in the hell in that house is wearing diapers? <laughs> That's, those were underclothes. Oh. Mm-hmm. And I actually saw among girls. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw them. I guess it's just, I guess, a, you know, family that couldn't afford drawers. Mm-hmm. So they were rewashing underclothes, I, I mean, uh, uh, diapers, mm-hmm. and pinning them on. Mm-hmm. Actually, wearing them to school. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's always oh, so, there's so much, you know, that you, you know, it's just like a novel, just be like Dickens, you know. I mean, every little mm-hmm. smidgen of a thing turns into a scene, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. You know, in Morrison, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, what? So then I understood after talking with others, I understood why there were diapers hanging on clotheslines mm-hmm. in the backyards of homes where there were no babies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because my grandmother, they never used store bought. Feminine hygiene products. Yeah. They just tore rags. That's right, and, and they, made their own. That's right. They use they use diaper. They also and they use section. That's right, mm-hmm. section of yeah. And um, oh, anyway, she said to me, and she got on the bed and she said, "I want you to do something." And she, uh, I walked and said, "Come over here." She laid on the bed. Come over here. So I just walked right to the bed, which meant. My family jewels were pretty close to where she, you know, in terms of she could, she just reached, you know, pulled my belt, unbuckled me, and unbuttoned me, and told me to get up on the bed. And she opened her leg. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. And uh, she got, <laughs> got an ere- you know, got an erection. And uh, so uh, when I had an orgasm, you know, it, it terrified me. I didn't know. I, I thought somebody had struck me from behind. Because you you didn't masturbate before this time. I hadn't masturbated then. Oh wow! No, no, no. I wasn't. Well, later, you know, the the, the boys. Uh, in fact, the word got around, so the guy knew that I didn't have to masturbate. I'll tell you the end of the oh, story. Oh wow! Though. So no, no, I hadn't masturbated then okay. yet. You know, and so I thought that uh, I thought somebody had struck me because it's seemed painful. Mm. So I leaped up and she just snatched me down. No, 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 don't do that. When I, when, when I leaped up, the semen just shot all the way up to her face, right up the front of her, the, you know, the dress she mm-hmm. had on. And it shot all the way up to her face, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, then I kind of put something together because I had been reading those eight-page Bibles, you know, mm-hmm. and I knew that uh, something eventually comes out of a man. But I'm a boy, so, you know, it ain't going to come out of me. Right. So it's really interesting how uh, where she was just really so upset. So then she, you know, started talking. She calmed me down and all that and and uh, gave me some more candy and whatever else. And uh-huh. So... It became kind of regular, and so this is something that she would. So she would tell me when to come over. She would tell you when to come over, right? And I knew to go to the back. Mm -hmm. If I came in the front, I was with a couple of buddies and something to buy. Some with one of my sisters or with some little girl, and and she would know. She, I mean, we, she would know that. I knew I I wasn't coming for that. She Mm -hmm. knew too. I always, I always. From then on, I always came to the back door. So 
I heard this never I never confirmed it, but I heard that my sister went and talked to her and gave her a real tongue lashing. You know? <laughs> yeah. I can imagine so because this is um Yeah. I I heard know. that Ethel. Yeah. You know, yeah. Definitely if the genders were switched. Yeah. This conversation would be a lot more uh, macabre and, ha- and have a pallor of predatory. Uh, but because we've all been raised in the gender paradigm we've been raised in, I do find myself not as upset about it as I would be I know talking it. to a woman I know who now, had been groomed by a man. Now, older women who know, mm-hmm. they're, very, they're very concerned about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I even told Shelly, and Shelly was like, what? Mm-hmm. You know, Shelley, well, she didn't say it. But anyway, I don't know. I'd like to take that out. Mm-hmm. You can take that out. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, but I've talked to women in sex and women. Mm-hmm. women. Now, here's, here's the way my peers dealt with it, interestingly enough. Because, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to get out, you know, mm-hmm. something like that. <clears throat> Why are you going in, this woman, in the back, in this woman's back door? And I never knew. Uh-huh. I never knew. You, my, you was like the blues singer. You I know, was the back exactly, door man. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Literally and you know, music. I never knew if Lewis knew her her nephew, mm-hmm. and I never knew who. I didn't know how widespread it was, except that in my circle. It's interesting because. To the boys, like, oh, he getting some. Mm-hmm. You know, some some of them didn't even know what some was, you know. Right. But they, he getting some. So he doesn't have to be under, he doesn't have to masturbate. You know, he doesn't be in the jerk circle as frequently. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and uh, so that's kind of the way it was looked at. I don't remember anybody looking at it as me being abused. Today, mm-hmm. I, I know that uh, about just a few years ago, Santana came out and said he was abused. Mm-hmm. And I I didn't read the story, but I never found out whether it was a man or a woman mm-hmm. and just what weight it would have. Mm-hmm. And I'd never, <clears throat> I've never ever thought of wanting to uh, go big with it. Right. You know, cause it, you know, and you know it's what? Really you- in my head, is nothing. Right, but but you know what? You just said something that would have changed the dynamic too. If yeah. this had been a man, of course, who had groomed you in this way, yeah, and made you their sexual partner, or this a man conver- who had done a woman, this ca- this, That's right. this conversation would have been different. It's very different, mm-hmm. very different, and um, it uh, yeah, 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 mm-hmm. would have been. So so I never, I I you know I haven't you know I I give it no thought except. The incredible amount of knowledge that I got, right? And her. so this and, was this is like a it's just an episode. Mm-hmm. I knew it was happening around me. Mm-hmm. I wasn't sure to what extent, but I knew I heard it happening around me. I mean, it wasn't like every boy mm-hmm. or even every street, mm-hmm. but here and there you heard stuff, you knew stuff, you mm-hmm. know? and I knew that women picked up boys. Older at an older age, mm-hmm. so some of my friends in high school were going with women who were twenty five mm-hmm. and, and 
thirty and thirty five, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they were they were like men. I mean, they they started everything early because they had big big brothers and fathers and uncles mm-hmm. who were gangsters, you know. So they started cutting uh, dice games and other kind of gambling mm-hmm. games early. You know what that is, cut. <coughs> no, what yeah. is that? Cut is you oversee the game and you get so much. Oh, so, you make so a lot it's... Of money. In other words, <coughs> you, just, you just provide a space. You, you provide know? the venue. Yeah. All that stuff. And it could be in the daytime where all oh, the parents are gone. Uh-huh. Everybody, you know, skip, uh-huh. skip school and come to your house. Yeah. Play tunk. You cut it. Yeah, you know, there, you, are some, yeah. there are some women in Mississippi who operated whole casinos exactly. and basements and precisely and that sort of thing yeah so i understand that but here are the two things that are standing out most to me you did not it doesn't sound like you mooned or told yourself now we're in love this will be my wife or sat in school after that drawing her name and that woman pro- yes no. producing a lot of romantic nothing. feelings nothing out of it. Nothing. For some reason, I well, I guess I just knew it was cut off, you know. Mm-hmm. No, I never expected to see her anymore, you know, later on. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> after this alleged visit by my sister, which I'm not sure it happened, it slacked off, you know. And she would eventually, uh, I guess what she, what she was doing with me was a safe route. Mm-hmm. You know, after her husband had died and she buried him, all that, mm-hmm. and it was, it was, I don't know what, I don't know what that is. Um, I know women who only deal with younger men, mm-hmm. and maybe that's, maybe they feel they have, and and whenever I see it, I try to find out if they had fathers and. So maybe they're being their mother. I just never know what that is. Or but maybe it, it seems I mean, to me that when most you're thirteen, of, most of them didn't. Most of them had the problem, had the father problem. Well, but you weren't a man. A thirteen-year-old no. isn't a man. So I I see I'm, that as control. She wanted to determine the terms of the relationship. Yeah, yeah that's right. She needed for you to go when you go, come when you come. Yeah. Uh, and we had, mm-hmm. and we never had any contact in between. Right, I mean, because that's not what she wanted. We didn't write. We didn't write each mm-hmm. other. Well, there was no phone. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I think I don't know if she had one, but we you know. So there'd be no way to to contact. And um, if I came by, and she was busy, then we would just fake like I came for some other reason. Mm-hmm. You know, if I looked in there and saw a man or saw a woman, mm-hmm. and I don't know if she was doing something with somebody. I don't. But anyway, if, if she I had more the, than one partner, yeah, I don't know. I mm-hmm. kind of suspect not. But when I would look in there, I would just say, "Oh, well, I'm looking for is Lewis here?" You know, I would mm-hmm. throw that fake up. Mm-hmm. No, he's not around. Uh, might might try over at his house, and that would be it. You know. Mm-hmm. But uh, now here's the second thing: Do you believe this early training? To have something just be discreetly physical without a relationship, do you think that taught you how to be good at con- at conducting that version of a sexual relationship later? You know, some men are very good at... I think it might have been. It's just a fuck. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it might have been. And yeah. was that to your detriment or or is that a skill set? Well, it's a skill set. Okay. I, mean, I, I could not you say that. I mean, it's, it's a skill set. And um, what, what, I, what I learned is that <clears throat> you have to be careful about how you do it because you may not want somebody to fall in love with you. Hmm. And that can be counterproductive. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, and I think that's generally men, men, they want somebody to, they want a woman to fall in love with them, with them and at the same time they don't. Right. Yeah. And so a lot of men think They want like, her to be attracted. Yeah. Because that's also going to change the sex. Yeah. When she's attracted and feels that's right uh, some ownership and, of you, yeah. but then they don't want the responsibility right. of that, the burden of that, right? And uncles and fathers and big brothers and older guys will tell you, tell you this: make sure she loves you more than you love her. <laughs> this is the same thing women tell each women, other too. <laughs> women, women tell women. Yes, it's true. So they just, to like you more. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's an interesting kind of thing, and you mm. really do have to be because uh, people can uh, people can get can can hurt themselves, you know, and they, mm-hmm. they fall for you. So you you have to be very careful. Um, now you are. And a I've life- had some situations. Mm-hmm. In fact, well, I'm sure you well, have. A mother called me about a daughter who was talking about committing suicide. But the irony is, this is as an adult, mm-hmm. the irony is the daughter had been unfaithful. She had committed, she had cheated, committed the infidelity, right, mm-hmm. right? And then she, and but I, that's just something we may may not talk about. Right. But, I, you know. <clears throat> well, here so, we here we stand. It's, it's, it's 2018. Yeah. You just turned 81 on December 1st. Um, so that was what, nine days ago? Yeah. Eight, nine or no, eight no, days ago? Uh, eight days. The day is the eighth. Eight, eight days ago. Yeah. And to this date, you've never been married. That's true. Do you think that your introduction to sex has anything to do with that? You know, uh, when, I, when I conduct my self-analyses, which is pretty frequent. <laughs> I trace it more to. I don't know. I have to. I have to, I have to put that in it because I think about that a lot. Mm. So the fact that I think about it a lot. I mean, not not that I that I have any position on it. It's just that I, for some reason I think about it a lot mm-hmm. because it was you know I was diversionized. Right. But what I think is that <clears throat> I think the death of my mother mm. I think the death of my mother at nine well when I was nine mm-hmm. <clears throat> is is the overweening overwhelming uh, evidence for why 
for why I never got married. I, I just kind of think that. Mm-hmm. Because I think that I might, you know, I'm just using the Freudian approach and the other elements, other kinds of thought. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, my generation of thinkers, regardless of what, you, what, what field you were specializing in, you had to know T.S. Eliot. You had to know Freud. Mm-hmm. You had to know Aldous Huxley. Mm-hmm. Because the whole idea of, you know, the fittest. You had to know Marx. Mm-hmm. And you had to know uh, Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> in fact, a man said one day in class, and to be successful in the Western world, you need to master the ideas of these four men. Mm-hmm. And I was sleeping in the class, with was economics class. And I was sleeping because I worked all night cleaning the building. Mm-hmm. And I popped too. What I heard was, if you want to be successful in the Western world, mm-hmm. you must master the ideas of these four men. So I just popped alert like mm-hmm. that. And he said, Jesus Christ, Karl Marx, um, Sigmund Freud, and Albert Einstein. Hmm. And so when people ask me how I got to where I am, you know, why you think so, say whatever, you know, I, I repeat that to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I I had mastered the ideas of Jesus Christ. You can't be a seventh-day Adventist. Right. <laughs> right. Reading the whole Bible over right. a year's time. I was reading, I was studying Karl Marx. You get him everywhere. Mm-hmm. You get him in econ, econ classes. You get him in history classes. Mm-hmm. You know, you get him in... As an English major. Yeah. So, and uh, and Einstein, everybody talked about Einstein. was really big in my day, mm-hmm. you know. And then, of course, I added T.S. Eliot because everybody knew T.S. Eliot. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter if you were a coach, you know, if you, were, you wanted to be a coach. For some reason, you know, that's how the world will end, you mm-hmm. know. So, um, so anyway, I, I think because of my mother, but... You know, maybe and and the way I attach it psychologically is that I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be left. You know, mm. uh, uh, again, and also that um, that whole thing. I but I also didn't want to get attached. Mm. I really don't. I really it's hard. You know, mm. I don't know if I've ever talked about it like this. Mm-hmm. But um, I. Um, I, mm-hmm. I think the attachment, I got attached to my mother and she was gone. Mm-hmm. You know, if I just use the basic premises and, mm-hmm. and, and, and uh, you know, syllogism that might come out of a, a Freudian or a Jungian, you know, mm-hmm. or an Adlerian uh, look at this stuff, mm-hmm. you know, or mm-hmm. Phanonia. In the 60s, I started, I started using the term uh, Phanonian. For, for France Fanon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Phenonian slip for racial slip. Mm. That's a phenonian slip. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, <laughs> I'm. You yeah. know what? I'm going to end it here. This is. This has, as usual, been thoroughly fascinating. It is such a blessing to get to talk to your father about these things. Yeah. It is. So, um, the next time we're together, I think let's let's go ahead and move into uh, you. Going to college and then the Marines. Okay. Because you went to college, 
But you and I had a, a similar experience where we kind of slid in with our bad habits. Right. <laughs> and you know and then and then received a reprieve and came back and killed it. That's right. So smoked, um smoked it. Smoked it, smoked it on. Left it smoking. All right. No, Love I you, Dad. Well, uh, oh. talk about I also want to talk about the violence, you know. Oh, yes, yes, that yes. Street, cause how as I said, my friend Quince Truth said, you know, Reg, you got a lot of hostility in you. <laughs> Oh. Wait, that's what he said about you? Yeah. Oh, my God. So, but it's a different, different kind of thing. You know, wow. And, and, Dear and, Pot, and you I, are black. Son Kettle. <laughs> On that note, I'm going to cut this thing off. But we're going to talk about the violence and your move okay, I wanna, out of East St. Louis. I want to talk about the violence and the move out of East St. Louis. Cause 